it's time now for us to turn our attention to the Word of our God. We're going to be back in John chapter 3. I'm going to be looking at verses 22 through 36. So if you'd like to turn there with me while I read, John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing near Enon, near Salem, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friends, this is the word of our God. And I want to pray and ask God's blessing and help now as we open it together. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Father, I, I pray that the, the gravity of what it means to sit under your word would move us today. Father, I pray that you would be the one who opens our ears that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. Father, speak, we pray, for your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. As we've been studying through the Gospel of John, we've noticed that one of the big things John is doing is he wants us to see Jesus in all of his glory uh, for who he really is. But you know, something else John wants us to do. He wants us to hear Jesus. And not just hear him, but, but listen to and respond to his message. Because Jesus came with the message from God, the truth that sets us free. Jesus has come with the words of eternal life. 
Now here in the passage this morning, we see Jesus' ministry taking off and John the Baptist's is beginning to fade out. And that causes a dispute. This morning, we're going to look at three lessons that come out of this dispute. Okay, so number one, the true meaning of baptism. Number two, the sound of a superior voice. Number three, the path to greater joy. So number one, the meaning of baptism. Here's what's going on. John the Baptist, he's he's not been put in prison yet, so he's still uh, conducting his ministry. Um, the, The point of his ministry was to point people to the Messiah. He's still baptizing all who will repent of their sins and accept the message about the Messiah who now has come. At the same time, Jesus' ministry is beginning to grow, and he's baptizing those who hear his voice, repent of their sins, and turn to him in faith. We're told um, right at the beginning of chapter 4, we'll be there soon, that Jesus himself didn't personally baptize anyone. Um, It was his disciples there under his authority uh, baptizing the people who were beginning to follow Jesus. Verse 25 tells us that a discussion arose between a Jew and John's disciples over purification. When it says discussion, it's kind of like, you know, a handful of times in the years past when Carrie and I might start getting in a heated conversation and the kids say, mom, dad, why are you arguing? And, And we're like, we're not arguing, we're having a discussion, right? Other, other translations translate this word that an argument or a dispute arose. So that's what's going on here. And involved in this dispute are two things. Something about purification and the fact that people are leaving, abandoning John's ministry and everyone is starting to follow Jesus. Now, we already saw back in chapter 2, if you remember the wedding with the stone pots, Um, And and really all of the Jewish history, the purification was just a fundamental part of the identity of the Jewish religious system, but also their their, their cultural everyday life. John the Baptist's ministry, particularly the fact that he was baptizing, was very controversial for the Jewish leaders. And here's why. Baptism existed before John the Baptist. But do you know what? Jewish people were never baptized. Um, Gentiles. Uh, A Gentile is a non-Jewish person. So basically there's Jews and then there are non-Jews. A non-Jew is a Gentile. Gentiles who converted to Judaism or the religion of the Jews, they would get baptized. Uh, To a Jew, a Gentile was considered unclean, right? So when a Gentile converted to Judaism, they would undergo uh, this, this ceremonial bath, this immersion that is called baptism. They'd be taken out and immersed into water. And what this indicated was, was their uncleanness, their Gentileness was being washed away, and they were rising to be a whole new clean person that could, could worship with Jews. Now they couldn't come all the way into the temple, but they were allowed to worship so, you can see why John infuriated the Jewish leaders when he's baptizing Jews. Why would you need to baptize people they thought were clean? And the thing is, 
right? The thing is, is that John was saying that even the Jews needed to repent and be cleansed of their sins. Now, it is, a few things about baptism here while we're on the subject. Uh, It's important for us to realize that baptism is not the actual thing that washes away our sins. Regeneration does that, right? We even saw, you know, Paul in his writings talking about the, the washing of regeneration. Baptism is a a public and symbolic act which serves as a public testimony that a person has been united to Jesus, that their sins have been washed away, and that they are identifying themselves with Jesus in his death and his burial and resurrection. That's the meaning of baptism, our union with Christ. Now, there are two, in case you're wondering, there are a lot, but I'll boil them down to two main reasons we don't baptize infants or children or adults for that matter who, who do not yet trust in Christ. The first reason is that in the New Testament, there's never a baby or a child baptized before they come to faith in Christ. That never happens in the New Testament. There are a handful of household baptisms in the book of Acts, but you go and look at those passages. Don't take my word for it. Go look in those passages. Every single one of them, the whole household heard the gospel and repented and trusted in Christ. Then they were baptized. All right? So that's the first reason. It's not, we never see it happen in the New Testament. But the second reason that we don't baptize infants is that Jesus told us exactly who to baptize. Can you think of where that is? This little place in Scripture we call the Great Commission, right? In Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world making what? Disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us to baptize disciples, right? So, that, like I said, that's why we don't baptize our children or even adults until they can understand what it truly means to take up their cross and follow Jesus and that there's evidence in their lives that the Holy Spirit has done the things necessary inside of them in order to do that. Now, all right, back to Jesus and John and the dispute. Imagine John's over here baptizing. Jesus is over here baptizing. Here's, I think, what the dispute was. Whose baptism is more significant? I mean, John was baptizing before Jesus was. Even Jesus needed to be baptized by John, right? I mean, you can see how there's some confusion here, right? Right? And yet, Jesus' ministry is growing and John's is getting smaller. And it's very easy, especially, I, we, I'm looking out, we got a lot of church folk here. Uh, lots of us have been in church, and you know, it doesn't, it, it's very easy for pride and sin to get right in the middle. I mean, John and Jesus' ministry, this is God's work. And here you see the devil creeping in, trying to stir up controversy, right? You know, one says, I was baptized by John. The other, another says, well, hey, that's nothing. I was baptized by Jesus' disciples, right? 
And, and, and I wonder, I, I just can't help but wonder if that's why it clarifies that Jesus actually didn't baptize anybody because Jesus knew like, man, if some people were actually baptized by the Son of God and others ju- only had, you know, Peter's baptism, there, it would just cause more controversy, right? It's not who performs the baptism that's the most important. It's the fact that in our baptism, we are identifying with Christ. Every true believer is united to Him, and our baptism is a public confession that we are in Him. And if you're here today, if you're here today and you are a believer in Christ, if you believe that you have been born again, that you, and you believe that Jesus died for you, and rose again for you, and you are justified by faith in Christ, this in Him, you should be baptized to publicly profess your, the fact that it, this is the best time. There's never been a better time to publicly, you know, everybody wants to identify as what they are. You get to publicly identify that you are in Christ. Let's look how John responded to this dispute, right? So let's look at number two, the sound of a superior voice. Follow me for here for a minute. I love the way that John responds to this argument because it wasn't with pride. It wasn't with selfishness. John knows, he knew that everything happens for a reason and that the reason is that God is on his throne and God is sovereignly working all things together for his own glory and the good of his people, right? In verse 27, John said, a person, they're like, everybody's going to Jesus. John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven, right? Everything that happens is a part of God's plan. And John was satisfied with that because John wasn't trying to build his own kingdom. He wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to develop a brand for himself. He wasn't trying to develop a, a, a platform for himself, right? He was about Christ and his kingdom. John also deflected the attention from himself. In verse 25, like he, he has to re-emphasize it again. He does this again and again, the fact that he is not the star of the show. Now, let's ask the question, why was John content? Even though he had labored so hard in ministry, why was he not just content but joyful over the fact that his ministry is getting smaller and and Jesus is growing? Do you realize how hard that would be to see your work like you've put your blood, sweat, and tears in it and it's dwindling? For example, I'll make this personal for us here. A little over six years ago with much prayer And seeking God, we planted the road. And over the years, many of us have prayed together. We've spent much time praying together that God would be glorified in us. That God would build us up in a way that would honor Him. That God would use us to reach the lost here in Tifton. Uh, That God would bring us one day to a place where we could plant churches. I mean, that's, that's one of the... The day we planted, that's what we were, we were hoping that God would allow us to become a church planting church. But what if, instead of blessing us with those things, God chose to bless other churches in our area? We've committed our life to this, right? 
Right? We've put our blood, sweat, and tears in here at the road. Will we be jealous when we see other ministries increase and grow in ways that we wish we did? You know, sometimes um, I think when God just helps me to have a little bit of clarity of mind, like I pray for my friends who are in ministry, that God would do all the things in their church family that we are praying and hoping that He would do here for us. Friends, this is Jesus' kingdom. It's not ours. It's not the roads. We ought to be excited when we see Jesus working wherever He is working for His own glory. What was the key for John the Baptist? What was it that gave him joy over the fact of his declining ministry while Jesus' was exploding? It was very simple. I'm going to tell you what it was. John had heard the sound of a superior voice. He had heard the sound of a superior voice. Matt, what do you mean by that? Well, don't you remember how John identified himself back in chapter 1? John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm the prophet whose mouth is the fulfillment of the prophecies in Isaiah about the Messiah. The voice of John the Baptist played a very powerful role in the coming of Christ. By using his voice, he's fulfilling those prophecies about the greatest event in human history. What a special place to be. What an amazing way God used John the Baptist. He was the one chosen by God to be the herald of the Son of God coming into the world. And that was his identity. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But do you know what? There came a time when John heard a voice that was superior to his own. A voice more wonderful and powerful than his Listen to what he says here again in verse 28. Look, John's like, look, I keep on having to tell you guys I'm not the Christ. And then he's like, okay, let me break it down. Let me, let me give you an illustration so you guys can understand it, right? In verse 29, he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. A bridegroom, we don't use that word in our contemporary English, but bridegroom is the groom. The groom and the bride. John says, I am not the bridegroom. I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the groom. Kind of like maybe the best man at the wedding. I'm the friend of the groom. He goes on to say, he says in verse 29, the friend of the groom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. You know, if John had not been born again, if the Holy Spirit had not given him a new heart and a new set of ears, John would have been in love with his own voice. But God had given him a new heart. He had given him ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit caused John to find the voice of Jesus more compelling, more thrilling, and more satisfying than his own. There's a show on TV I I, I really love to watch. Some of you have seen this too, The Voice. You've seen this. Um, you know, it, Carrie and I will watch that, and, and sometimes, you know, there's good singers on there, but occasionally there'll be a person on there 
that has such an amazing voice that you're, you're halfway through this song and I realize I am stunned with my mouth, my jaw dropped at how amazing, how beautiful that voice sounds. Friends, how much more stunning is the voice of our Savior who calls the dead to life, who sings over and in the midst of His church, who with His voice says, Peace, be still. Who says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Actually, truly hearing the voice of Jesus in your life changes everything. It breaks the power of self-love. It reorients the center of our love for ourselves and this world and relocates our affections to Him. That's what it did for John the Baptist and that's what it will do for us. So the first two lessons that we learn from this dispute, the meaning of baptism and number two, the sound of Christ's superior voice This leads us to number three, the path to greater joy. All right, listen to it again. Uh, John 3, this is verse 29 and 30. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, here's what needs to happen for every person, right? Everybody needs this. Some of us, uh, Lord, I, I pray all of us have had this. If, if we haven't had this happen yet, I hope God will do this for you. You know when a baby's born, there, there's this, you know, in a sense, the only thing a newborn baby thinks about is themselves, right? Right? I'm hungry. Feed me. I'm bored. Give me some attention. I was, I was um, at uh, one of my daughter's homes a few weeks ago, and um, um, little Lily, my granddaughter, is starting to get, uh, she's sitting up. She's about to stand up and walk. And, and I realized this thing about her. That girl wants attention. And she's sitting up, and she wants attention so bad that, like, she, um, Allison coughed, and she mimicked her coughing, like fake coughing, you know. And then if you weren't paying attention to her, she'd start, ha, 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 you know, look at me, right? You know, and it's not that babies are just trying to do something bad, but the reality is we all come into this world completely absorbing ourselves. And, and as we begin to get older, it really doesn't change. We just get more sophisticated with it. I mean, tell me I'm wrong, but the, now the thing is the sophistication comes in because... We live in a selfish world. Every, everybody has the same heart condition. And, but um, in order to get my selfish needs met, I need to cooperate with other selfish people in getting their selfish needs met. So we, you know, we have commerce. <laughs> you meet my needs, I meet yours. Make it happen for me and we'll cooperate as long as what? We cooperate as long as I'm getting my needs met. The fact is, at the end of the day, Apart from grace, every human heart revolves around its own self. 
some of you may remember from your sixth grade um, science class, a man named Copernicus. Before Copernicus, you remember that the, everybody, like sci- scientists and the church, everybody thought that the whole, our whole solar system, that Earth was the center of it, and everything else was revolving around us. You know? And then he discovered that, no, whoa, whoa, it's the sun in the center of the solar system. And we are, you know, not a itsy bitsy teeny weeny planet, but, you know, a medium-sized planet revolving around. There's other planets too, right? That was a scientific revolution, that discovery. And you know something? We need the same revolution in our hearts. We all need to discover with the help of the Holy Spirit that we are not at the center of the universe. Everything does not revolve around us. Christ is at the center. And sometimes so much of the chaos in our lives, I realize it's a chaotic world, but a lot of times the chaos in our lives comes from the fact that we're trying to live like we're the center. And you know, God and Jesus and the church are just little planets or moons rotating around us. Here's the ironic thing. You want to know the irony in all this? When we live like everything revolves around us, the reason we do that is because we're trying to pursue our own joy. But when we live that way, we're actually undermining our joy, right? Living that way will lead, not maybe, not maybe, not kind of, not sort of, living like you are the center of everything will rob you of joy. Promise you that. Did you hear John? He greatly rejoiced at the bridegroom's voice. In the same breath, he said two things. This is verse 29 and 30 again. He said, therefore, my joy is now complete. He must increase. And I must decrease. Do you see this? The way to find our joy The way to maximize our joy is when we stop living for ourselves and start living for Christ. You want to learn how you can come to have profound and lasting joy and peace? I'm going to to give you something very simple here today. You can write it down if you want, but most of you can probably remember this. Take the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed. That means be glorified. Hallowed be Do this, hallowed be thy name, not mine. Thy kingdom come, not mine. Thy will be done, not mine. Something that, I know this feels hard to believe, but it's true. Jesus is far more committed to your joy than you are. And the other thing, he's far more able to give you joy than you are to give yourself. I mean, that, makes, that makes it idiotic. Sin is psychotic. It, it, it makes us, for the pursuit of pleasure, do things that rob us of pleasure. Now, how do you know if you've heard the voice of Christ and have been changed by it? It's one thing to say, oh yes, I believe in Jesus. Oh yes, I love the sound of his voice. 
but how can you tell if it's true? You know, the rest of chapter 3 goes on. Um, Jesus, it, it explains how Jesus has come to bear witness or he gives testimony of what he has seen and heard from the heavenly father. Uh, verse 34, John three thirty four says, For he whom God has sent, Jesus, utters the words of God. How do you know if you love the voice of Jesus? How, how do you know if you really trust him or, or it's just something you just say, but it's not a reality in your life? I want you to listen to this very sobering verse. John three thirty six. But I want you to, there's two words here I want you to key on and show you how he's saying the same thing in two different ways. It's the same thing. See if you can pick out these two words. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you see this? Whoever does not obey shall not see life. But whoever does obey, they are the ones who truly believe. They have eternal life. Now, we don't, of course, we don't believe that in order to be a Christian, or the, even the evidence of being a true Christian, is perfect obedience to all that the Word of God teaches. That's not what we believe. But we have to do away with the notion that you can be a genuine born-again believer, that, that the Holy Spirit has um, taken away the old king of your heart, and now he is the king of your heart. You're a Christian, but you don't live like it at all. Like you just, you don't follow, you don't follow Jesus. You don't obey him. You don't love his word. You don't love the sound of his voice. I have something pretty exciting here for you. Listen to this. Do you want to know how you can hear the voice of Christ at any time you want? All you have to do is open the pages of Scripture. Some of you have heard this a bazillion times. But I want you to hear this afresh. And if you've never heard this before, this is, all, this is an amazing reality. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul said, All Scripture is breathed out by God. You know, the heart that's dead to sin looks at the Bible and they don't like what they see because to obey it, means they could no longer live like they are the center of their own universe. But the person who has been spiritually raised from the dead, here's what they say about the Word of God. Here's what they say about the Scriptures. In them, they experience the joy and the blessing of God. They see, they experience, they feel the joy of God in trusting Him and obeying Him. Now, friends, do you, do you feel that ache in your soul? I think every one of you knows, is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. 
this ache in our soul. There, there's this always a longing for more. Like something inside us constantly feeling like nothing is quite right. And friends, every single one of us has a longing, a hunger, a thirst inside of us to hear the voice of the Son of God, our King, our Savior, and to be filled with the kind of joy that comes from knowing Him. And at the same time, even if you're a genuine Christian, like you're really like, you're trying to live, you're, you're trying to keep focused on Him. You're trying to, you've tuned your ear to, to, the, to the words of God and, and His voice and you, you're trying to walk in nearness to Him. You know, there are still so many other noises in this world trying to divide our attention and, and drown out the noise of the voice of Christ. We even struggle sometimes to hear the voice of Christ and delight in it even because of our own weakness and the remaining sin that we struggle with. But one day, I want to give you the biggest encouragement. One day, the clouds will part and Jesus will return. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of our Savior coming for us. And on that day, this one who's making all things new, all the other noise will be cleared away. The brightness of His coming, the glory of His coming, the glory of that's even going to purge out the rest of whatever inside us. The weakness, the remaining sin, everything. And we'll be able to hear and rejoice in the voice of our Savior. The way we so desperately want to now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life-giving voice of your dear Son. And Father, I, I would plead with you that if there's one person here today who's not yet heard his voice, Father, I pray like the day he came to Lazarus' tomb, this would be the day that Jesus visits and calls them from death to life through the Spirit. Father, for those of us who have heard it, we, we know it's we completely, our hearing, our ability to hear and delight in the voice of your Son owes to nothing in us. It's all your mercy. It's all your grace. So we praise you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.